Hey, Sandy, what's going on? Hey, appreciate you coming on. It's cold and windy. Mm. <laughs> it's 84 degrees today. It's like 50 and windy. Oh, is it really? I bet it's cold up there where you are. Yeah, it's been a little chilly. We've had uh, crazy winds today, so and the sun yeah. hasn't really been coming out all that much. So, yeah, it's dreary here. Not, not the best days. <laughs> it's okay. Spring's right around the corner. Yeah, I know, right? I can't and wait. Then we're gonna get super busy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if uh, too many of the listeners out there know uh, one or two hailstorms tends to hit Texas uh, in the next in the next month or two. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, and we were Houston already had a tornado, so. Yeah, when did that happen? Three weeks ago. What? It was bad. You EF three. Really. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, man. I've been a little neck deep and stuff up here. I haven't even really paid much attention. I didn't know that that happened. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Do they know it, roughly how many houses got hit? Thousands of people affected. Um, it hit Deer Park and Pasadena which are like Southeast of Houston mm -hmm. um, in the industrial area. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Not, not too many shocking. residents. That was shocking. You know, that's like, that just didn't happen down yeah. here. Yeah. No kidding. Right. Was anybody injured? No injuries. That's good. It happened during the day, like around two o'clock in the afternoon where a lot of people were at work or, Kids were in school. Of course, the schools all had the tornado warnings, you know, and they did their little tornado drills. Yeah. Fortunately, nobody was injured. Just a lot of houses yeah. damaged and some commercial properties. Man, that's wild. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're going to be uh, needed here. <laughs> well, soon. you know, I'm, and I'm, I had several public adjusters and contractors ask me, have you been down there? I'm like, why should I go down there? I'm not going down there. I've got enough work as it is. And besides that, I'll just let the contractors go down there. And then in a few weeks, they'll be calling me because they need help. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Well, I, I've had a few guys ask me, you know, are you going down to certain storms? Are you going out of state for things? And I just told them, man, I'm, I'm, I'm neck deep and stuff up here. Right. There's a, has not been a shortage of uh, carriers shortchanging homeowners here in DFW. <laughs> That's right. And you guys have a lot more hail than we do and wind. And we, we had a late one too. We had a, uh, like a two inch hailstorm hit um, just east of DFW in December, which was awful. Right. awfully it weird. Grapevine, right? And there was um, a no, club no. with the belt of the roof caved in. So, yeah. So the, there was a, Part of that storm hit in different spots, but there was a good uh, a good chunk of the hail hit just east of Dallas, kind of in out towards like the Rock Wall area. Right. So, but um, but yeah, there was another storm that hit that like knocked down the whole grapevine. I think it was a Sam's Club or yeah, uh, Sam's Club. Yeah, I saw that photo. Yeah, the roof caved in. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, that, that stuff happens up there. Houston, we get floods more than anything, but. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but we still get some wind and hail too. Yeah. How, how many how many hailstorms a year do you think y'all get down there in Houston? Um. Well, we typically don't get any like really big hail. Um. But if it does, if there is big hail, it's usually like in Montgomery County, and uh, like around Lake Livingston, which is northeast of Houston. 
Yeah. In that pocket where they get, you know, they typically get more storms there, severe storms there. Um, there's just different areas like down south, of course, they have the Gulf winds, so they're going to get more storms down there. Yeah. And where I am in Northwest Harris County, we don't get too much here. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I think people around here in DFW, they're pretty inoculated to the storms that come through right. here. But I don't think people, a lot of homeowners don't understand that, you know, between DFW and up in Colorado, they're the number one hail markets in the entire country. That's right. So we, we average more hail storms above one inch uh, than anywhere else in the country. Right. So I think we get on average like two and a half, three and a half storms a year. And it's a, it's a big number. So people know they get hit, but I don't think they realize how, how much they get hit here. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of an, you know, it's a common thing. You know, it's to be expected. There's storms are going to be, you know, you have to expect them. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Well, I'm really glad you took the time to come on the show. And I know you and I have talked a couple of times and um, I just thought you'd be a really good guest to have on. And I'm, I'm really excited that you're here. So I appreciate Thank you taking you. the time to jump I'm, on. I'm excited to be here. But um, once you, once you tell us a little bit, tell some of the viewers here about, you know, your company and, you know, what you do in the industry and kind of a little bit about, about your background. Okay. So as you know, I'm a public insurance adjuster. I represent the policyholder when they have a, a property claim. Um, most of what I do is residential. I would like to get more commercial jobs. I actually have an appointment on Monday to go to Austin for a commercial claim. And then uh, the same owner owns uh, a building in Port Arthur. So we're going to do that one as well. I got into this industry um, back in, well, I got my license in 2016. So it's been just about seven years since I've been a public adjuster. And I became a public adjuster because I had to sue State Farm on my own homeowner's claims. Gotcha. There was a Memorial Day storm of 2015, which was really, really bad. It wasn't not a tropical storm. It was just a really severe storm in Houston. There was a lot of flooding and there was tons and tons of lightning and wind and rain. Um, and I didn't like the way my insurance company treated me. And I didn't know nothing. I didn't know anything about insurance at that time. And I learned throughout the process and it took almost three years to settle that claim. And I decided I wanted to become a public adjuster so that I could help other people not have to go through what I went through. So that's why I really like, I really do enjoy doing residential claims because I like getting to know my clients yeah. and they look at me, you know, they look up to me for guidance and I like to educate them. And so that when the claim is finished and settled, they're a much more educated consumer. Yeah. And how did you first hear like what even a public adjuster was? Well, during the, when I was going through my claim, um, a friend of mine that I went to high school with, he was an IA, an independent adjuster working for the insurance companies. And he had been doing, doing it for about 25 years. And he recommended that I hire a public adjuster. And I'm like, well, what is that? So he told me. And so then I started, I met with the public adjuster and um, she 
didn't do as well as I was hoping she would do. And she ended up rescinding her contract. But but in any case, um, I was learning, I did learn some things from her and I learned from my friend. And then um, eventually um, my claim was still in litigation when I got my license. My friend who was the IA, he was like my mentor. And he suggested, hey, how about you and I study? He said, because I've been thinking about becoming a public adjuster myself. So we studied together and got our license together. So it started out, he and I were partners. And, you know, it takes time before you get your name out there and people know who you are. So yeah. it's taken a few years to get to where I am now. And now I, I mostly work solo, but I do work with other public adjusters because I need help. Um, so I, I have a company, but I work mostly, I don't, I haven't not been using my company name on my paperwork. I haven't gotten to that point yet. Eventually I will. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm busy all the time. I'm like really busy and I get calls every day. Yeah. Every day. Uh, well, it's funny how you talk about, um, first time hearing about a public adjuster. Cause I hear that from, my clients all the time, they're like, you know, I didn't even know what a public adjuster was. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't go to these roofing conferences very often, but the ones that I do go to, I picked something up from one, two years ago, where it was interesting just to hear the numbers of how yeah. many claim files across the country, how few of those actually involve a PA. And on the initial numbers that were like two years ago, you know, it was less than 1%. Right. of all insurance claims involve a public adjuster. And I think the carrier likes it that way. Of and they, they like people not knowing what a public adjuster is. And, right. you know, in the just the last two years, that number has grown exponentially. It's still a really small number. I think it's up somewhere closer to like two and a half, three percent claims involve a involve an adjuster or a public adjuster. But um, I, I think it's just interesting how few people know what this is. And I think that's why I like having people like you on and doing a show like this, because I want people to have all the information out there. Most people don't know what a PA is until it's too late. <laughs> and, you know, they're hearing it like you did from your contractor or, you know, a friend of yours. And if you're lucky enough to have somebody who's used one, then that's typically how you, you know, know what a PA is. Right. And then that's, how, I mean, I don't solicit because I don't have to. Yeah. Um, so my my claims come from referrals from mostly contractors. They come from former clients. Um, I've, there's been times when I get a phone call from somebody, a, a policyholder, and they say, "I've got your name from such and such," and I'd never heard of that person before. You know, <laughs> I'm like it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but they knew who I was, and they had my number somehow. That's fine with me. Yeah, it, it you know makes me curious. <laughs> so I mean. Um, when you when you're when you advocate for people who really need help and they're ignorant about the process because most of my clients will say I've never been through this before and they admit their ignorance and I tell them don't worry I'm going to take care of that for you I'm going to yeah. teach you I'm going to educate you and you're going to be a much you're going to be much better off yeah. and you know, it's, 
that's to me is a very important part of my job is educating people. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I think the more questions that homeowners ask and, you know, the more things they get from whether it's a podcast like this or some other avenue, the more, the more information they have, the better th that they're going to be informed. And um, that way they can make the best decision. And just like not all contractors are created equal and not all PAs are either. That's right. um, the difference in that though, is that the PAs, you know, in, in DFW, there's estimated over 8,000 roofing contractors and growing on a regular basis here. Right. Um, as far as PAs go to you and me, there's quite a few PAs up here. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of like the grand scale of how many to feed all the DFW, there's really not that many. Right. And sometimes people can jump really quick to getting a PA just because they were told that they need one. They're just getting the first one that pops up. And I would I would argue that, you know, 80 percent of PAs in this industry are not approaching files the way that they should be. And so right. um the homeowners getting information and asking the right questions when they in you know interview a PA prior to hiring them or hey these are some red flags just like they need to know with contractors it, you know it, it's the same same situation you know right right and it's so important um for you to build up a level of trust yeah from the very beginning yeah because if they can't trust you then that's going to make or if they don't trust you, then it's going to make the whole relationship a little bit tense. Yeah. Um, most, ma the majority of the time, I don't have that problem. Yeah. People well, you're, you're in this tough situation, right? I mean, you had this loss, you experienced a, a damage to your property. A lot of people are just like, you know, why is nobody have my back? Why do I feel like I'm fighting the insurance carrier? Why do I feel like I don't know if I can trust my contractor? And th this whole business kind of has a reputation as well about, you know, people, whether it's swallowing deductibles or taking checks and hitting the road and leaving. Um, contracting in general has its own, you know, kind of stereotypes. So, you know, I, I think when you, when you're in this business as a as a public adjuster or as a contractor the more education you have the better the better it is for everybody right. and when a homeowner can sit down with you and talk about details to build that trust factor i think that's super super important right. and you know these guys that are looking for a quick buck and quick turnover and they're just looking for the next check um you know i those are the people that typically you can identify some of those things in the way that they talk and I, I encourage homeowners all the time, ask as many questions as you want. I'll sit down with you for an hour and discuss stuff. I tell people that even if you haven't experienced a loss yet and you want me to review your policy just to see if you should have extra endorsements or maybe there's some policy language that, you know, you don't that I don't like, um, I'll review policies for free. And I think that's I think that's super important and nobody takes advantage of that. Right. So if you call me up and say, hey, Marcus, would you mind just skimming over my policy? Let me know if I've got any issues. I would encourage everybody going into storm season right now that if you haven't had your policy reviewed, it might be worth taking a look at. There's endorsements. There's policy language changes that happen all the time. It's worth a review. Use use your tools and you use us PAs as tools. Right. And, and it's very, very important, especially for people who, you know, have been with Allstate or State Farm you know, for a number of years and they get those renewals in the mail every yep. year. 
who looks at those? Most people don't. They just want to see how much their premium price went up. Yep. And they don't pay any attention there when it says there might be some wording, this endorsement changes the policy. Yeah. <laughs> and lo and behold, oh my gosh, it might be one of those roof payment schedules. Yeah. And most of the people that I have met that had that, they had no idea they had that endorsement. They did not know what it meant. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it means that the insurance company is only going to pay a certain percentage of your roof if it gets damaged by storm. Yeah. And I've seen them as low as 30%. That's all they're going to pay. Yeah. Well, I, I had another episode recently where I, you know, I uh, spoke with Sean Hodge and we talked a lot about how important it is to pay attention to what these endorsements are. And um, the best position that the homeowner can be in is if they didn't cut any corners on on their policy to begin with. If you and I get involved on a file and the policy isn't a good policy, it's got horrible policy language. It's got uh, there's not a, very many endorsements that add on additional coverages. Um, the homeowners are only concerned, like you said, about their premium at the end at the end of the year. Um, you know, that $100 a year difference for an endorsement that could mean $200,000 worth of coverage if you experience a loss right. is a big whack to the chin that you don't learn that lesson until it's too late. And right. so I, I think it's the best defense that you can have as a homeowner is have your policy reviewed and make sure that there's no corners cut prior to you experiencing a loss. That's right. And in Texas, a policyholder can cancel their policy for any reason. Mm -hmm. Whereas the carrier, the carrier cannot do that. The carrier has to give you so many days notice. They have to give you specific reason why they're canceling your policy. Um, and general, generally that's going to be um, something about your credit score or something's happened and they don't want to cover you anymore based on financial reasons or um, you file too many claims or, you know, yeah. something like that. They're going to come up with some kind of reason to cancel your, to drop you. Yeah. Um, but in your correct, and that's really good advice. Now it's a good time to review your policies to yeah. see what you have and have somebody else look at it. Because most people, when they read their policy, they don't know what it means. They don't know what it's yeah. saying. Well, and what I, what I have tried to teach people is that, um, you know, your insurance agent actually isn't even the best person most right. of the time um, because they don't actually have copies of your policy on hand. That's right. um, they sell these policies to you all the time, but they don't actually have a copy of your policy. The right. only way for you to get a certified copy is you have to send in a request to the claims department and have them send it to you right. or your agent can specifically request it. But most right. of the time, they're only going to have, um, you know, your declaration page and maybe some maybe some endorsements. But typically, it's just the deck page. Right. And I've I've actually had to ask around because I, I do want to have some insurance agents on the show. And I've had a tough time finding guys that are willing to come on because I've asked them tough questions about policy language and they don't even know what the policy language is. They, they don't know what these endorsements do. And that's something that I've had to teach the homeowners that, hey, you know, these people don't always know what they're selling you. At the end of the day, they have a quota. 
They're trying to sell policies. They're trying to get you to close on a, on a deal based on what most likely what it comes down to is money. And are, are you $50 cheaper than the other guy? Are you $100 cheaper than the other guy? Mm-hmm. And all, they don't always inform you about what you're giving up to get that price break. Right. And something that could cost you $200 a year, maybe on your premium, which isn't a huge amount, um, that could cost you severely on, uh, on a loss if it ever occurred. Right. And um, that's it, it, a that's a huge thing that it's worth having somebody review the policy. And if you know what a PA is, or if you have one around you, they're they more than likely would be more than happy to review your policy for you for free. And right. that way they know, hey, this person ever needs me, I helped them out, and you know they'll probably call me if if they ever experience something. Right. And it's just like you know when I take on a new client or a potential client. I asked them, do you have a copy of your policy? Because I really need to see it. Yeah. <laughs> it. At the least, can you send me a declarations page? Because number one, you know, most of the claims I handle are wind and, wind and hail claims. So they're roof claims. So I want to see if they have that RPS, roof payment mm-hmm. schedule endorsement in their policy. That's the first thing I'm going to look for. And then if it's a water loss, there's are, are you limited on water coverage? Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. After the freeze, um it's especially with rental pro- properties is it a dp1 dp2 or G- dp3 so dp being dwelling policy those are rental yep. policies dp1s they don't cover freezing so i've had to tell people sorry you don't have coverage for freezing because you opted to get the cheapest policy you could find yeah. and you know that's the way it is so it's it's not just the endorsements and the coverages. It's also what's the deductible. Yeah. I have a client now in all state and she's an elderly woman. She's in her nineties. Her deductible is 4%. Wow. On everything. Wow. And I'm like, Oh, and they denied her claim and it's a legitimate claim. But- That's an interesting point because I've seen an influx in this industry on carriers offering options is how they kind of put it. And they, they do it in a way that seems like they're looking out for you and they're looking out for your monthly costs. You know, what, right. if I can help out in your monthly costs, then I'm your friend. And these carriers are offering these one and a half, two percent, three percent deductibles. And they're like, look at how, ch- how much cheaper I got your monthly premium or your annual premium down. And um, to a lot of people, that seems enticing because they're like, you know, well, how, what's the likelihood I'm going to get hit? You know, what, what's the likelihood this thing's going to happen to me? Right. And um, but then I, they say one percent or two percent. Oh, that's not that much of a difference. But th- what they don't know is that that's two percent of the total the coverage. coverage. <laughs> so that that can be double or triple. Yeah. The amount of your of your $15,000 that you got to pay up front, you know, out yeah. of your pocket. And some of these, I have actually another Allstate client and I can't remember. Yeah, theirs is 10% on hurricane. That's 40 something thousand dollars in deductible. I heard another uh, person who's got this multi-million dollar home here in Houston in the River Oaks area, which is like the most prestigious his deductible on wind and hail 
is 300 and something thousand dollars. And I'm not kidding. You might as well be self-insured. That's at that insane. Point. I know you might as well be self-insured. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't even cost that much to replace his roof. I mean, yeah. but that's the deductible on wind and hail. It's crazy. And and I think a lot of times people just don't even, they don't look at those things. All, like I yeah. said earlier, and you say, people are looking at the premium price. That's no, don't shop for prices of the premium, shop for coverage and look at the deductibles and, you know, think about would I have enough money to pay my deductible in the event that something was to happen? Yeah. Well, it, it's like public service announcement time, right? I mean, if right. anybody's listening to this, don't get caught up in the 2%, 3% or more deductible discussion. Right. So the industry standard is 1%. And there's some specific carriers or some specific policies that offer things like a flat rate deductible. Sometimes if you're, you've been with somebody for a long time and you're thinking about switching, check to see if you're grandfathered in on like, I've, I've still got clients that I've come across that they have a thousand dollar deductible right. and it's a flat rate policy. Right. That's the whole reason that they haven't switched because they're grandfathered in. So that's all stuff to consider when you're shopping around. Um, but if you're not dealing with that and you are just shopping the best deal, some people are, you know, new home buyers and they're they're just now getting into the into the into this policy game. Um, just do not get into that two percent, three percent, or more range. It's not worth it, and you will be in a in in a really tough place if something happens. Right, right, and it's. Um... And then they, they use nothing against brokers, okay? But they'll go to a broker and they end up with an insurance policy where the insurance company is small and they use a third-party administrator. Yeah. And then that's when you really get screwed over. <laughs> third-party well, administrators. Or and, and that's a great point because I there's a lot of people out there that don't know that these initial carriers that you're talking to, the policy may not be held with that company. Mm -hmm. They can sell it to what's called an underwriter, and you've got a policy covered by some company that's a foreign company, somebody that doesn't even do doesn't even have a brick and mortar business over here in this country. Right. Um, so it's it's important to ask these questions and, and say, hey, like, I, I don't I don't I want to be with a big name company. I don't I don't want to be with one of these you know small name companies that are that's an underwriter somewhere that I don't even know who they are. Right. Um, ask your broker, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with brokers. Right. There's, there's agents that have, you know, they only work for Allstate, they only work for farmers or, or something along those lines. And then you have brokers that can shop, you know, multiple insurance carriers, and then they can offer you a lot more options. Right. Um, I, I actually encourage people, hey, talk to all of them, talk to the broker, talk to the Allstate guy, talk to the farmers guy, and make them all fight over you. Um, and it's better to talk to somebody in person, not don't buy a policy online where yeah. you don't even talk to anybody. Talk yeah. to somebody on the phone. Yeah, there's a lot of questions to ask and there's, a, there's not as much transparency when you're buying a policy on your web browser. And um, it, it, it's good to meet in person. I'm a face-to-face -face kind of person. Uh, I know that's not available to everybody, but at least be prepared to call multiple people call multiple agents, call multiple brokers and ask questions. And some people have options that the others don't. 
And then if they're not willing to answer your questions or you feel like they're trying to get you off the phone, it's probably not a broker or an agent that you want to be talking to. Right. Um, you want somebody that's going to take time to sit down with you and go, hey, and, and bring your deck page with you from right. whoever else that you got uh, you got a quote from. Say, hey, this is what I got from these people. Look at these endorsements. Look at this coverage. Are there any issues? Are you guys offering something as much as what they're offering? Can you offer more coverage than what they are for the same price or maybe less? Um, there's a lot of endorsements such as, um, you know, Farmers is notorious for having like a low, uh, a, 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 a long-term leak, like a, a seepage uh, clog yeah, yeah. Or, or verbiage in their policy. Um, whereas a company like Travelers actually has a spe special endorsement that you can pay for that it does cover long-term seepage coverage. Right. Um, if you have a, uh, pier and beam home or a concrete foundation home, there's two different types of coverages there. And, and there's certain endorsements that you can get that cover on-site and even off-site, uh, backup or overflow coverage. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of things to ask about that and say, Hey, what else can I get for my money? I, am I getting the exact same coverage? Am I getting more? Am I getting less? If they can't answer you or you feel like you're not getting an answer, go talk to somebody else. Right. And typically those, you know, this, a lot of those endorsements, they don't really cost you that much more, yeah. you know? So, and you're getting so much more for your money. Yeah. So, um, and speaking about deductibles, I actually have an Allstate client currently and their claim is in litigation. Their deductible is $250. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, but I looked at their dwelling coverages. I'm like, well, you are way underinsured. And I'm telling you right now, because they've had the same policy for so many years. Yeah. And for whatever reason, their agent didn't increase their property value much yeah. over the last few years. But, you know. Well, that, that's actually a great topic, too. I mean, um, you know, people understanding how do I insure my home? Mm -hmm. And you know, there's an estimate out there that over 75% of homes are underinsured in DFW and understanding what the market is. You can't build a house for hundred dollars a square foot right now in this market. So if that's what you set up your coverage for, then you probably need to get some additional coverages. A lot of companies like farmers is one they have, they have a tendency and they even have restrictions on the agents that they can't put total coverage on the home above and beyond what they paid for it. So if you bought a house for $250,000, they can't offer you coverages above $250,000. Um, I ran into that personally. I had a historic home up in the Sherman area and, um, you know, I bought that house for maybe $225,000, but to rebuild that thing, I would have to, I, it would probably cost me 150 to $175 a square foot at that time to rebuild it. And I was like a hundred thousand dollars underinsured. So those are, that's another question to ask your agent is like, Hey, you know, what are you insuring me at? How'd you come up with that number and, and ask questions like that. Right. It's better to, I mean, and you know, people ask what is RCV, you know, replacement cost value as opposed to ACV actual cost value, um, 
there's so much um, policy language that people don't understand what they, they mean. You know, so I always try to explain RCV means this, ACV means this, blah, 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 you know, and it's so important to to always look at their policy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about a few things already. What What do you think is the biggest policy issue that that you're seeing in the market right now in, in Texas specifically? Well, it's the deductible amount mostly yeah um some have down here some have just wind and hail and other than other perils and then there's some that also have a hurricane uh, and i've seen some that have a hurricane deductible when they're not even that close to the coastline i don't know why they have a hurricane deductible yeah so, you know they can travel of course but um I would say the deductible and then water, you know, are you limited on water? Yeah. Uh, foundation. Most of them don't cover foundation. Yeah. If they do. They're very specific about what would have, it would have to be like some kind of a plumbing problem or something before they would pay for it. I have um, a state farm claim right now. It's a foundation claim. Um, and let's see, I, you know, those are the ones that come to mind first. And then, you know, of course, you know, just make sure that they don't have that, that RPS endorsement. Yeah. The, so for anybody who's listening, who doesn't know what that is. You'll hear it as ACV, RSPS or RPS policy, anything where you're not getting full replacement cost value. Replacement cost value is a key term there, and that's what you always want to have. But yeah, I would say the deductible issue is a huge thing that's going around right now. Um, another common one that I hear that it's really cheap to have. Why people don't get this, I have no idea, but it's building code coverage. Oh, um, it, like it, ordinance and law, and yeah. So I, I'm a, I as a roofing contractor as well. Like I. I run into this all the time where your flashings and a lot of other things can't be brought up to code because you don't have code coverage or it can be, it's just going to be an out of pocket expense to you. And for something that may cost you between 50 and $150 a year, it's not worth cutting that endorsement off of your policy. Right. Um, the same thing will happen as if I run into an older house or maybe somebody's had uh, multiple roofing systems put on that house uh, over the years and the decking just isn't where it's supposed to be. And depending on what the situation is, whether it's repairability or whether it's a code coverage issue, redecking that that roof where you basically have to re redo all the sheathing, that can be covered underneath there. It makes it easier to extend coverage if you have building code coverage. Right, right. Um, a lot of those flashings and all that stuff can be easily paid for if you pay for this endorsement. And that's a very common one that people, you know, they X out pretty quick. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, then, like you said, I mean, a lot of that stuff doesn't cost that much more. So, yeah. I mean, like even on my car, I have extra coverage for um, bodily injury to others. And stuff. It doesn't even cost that much more, you know, or I 
I have a $250 deductible. It, it's only like 50 bucks more a year. Yeah. You know, instead of having a $500 or a thousand dollar deductible, you know, just, it's, it just makes more economical sense. Yeah. It's a little bit extra stuff. Yeah. And then you have more peace of mind, which is actually what insurance is supposed to do for you. You're paying a price for peace of mind so that in the event that something catastrophic happens to your property, you have a sense that you're going to be okay. Yeah. Which is what everybody thinks when they do have an event. And then what happens later? Yeah. Then they think, oh my gosh, I can't believe how badly they've treated, they're treating me. And they feel like they're insulted. You know, they feel insulted, um, almost shamed. I tell them, don't worry, they treat everybody like crap, you know? So it's <laughs> No, don't worry about it. I just tell them, don't worry about it. They treat everybody bad. You're just well, a number. You and I both know that, that that the carrier is never, these carriers are never short on misrepresenting and, and acting fraudulently. Right. But that being said, it, they don't have, they don't have to worry about that if the policy is crap to begin with. Right. So your best defense against your back game being up against the wall and not having any course of action is having a good policy in place to begin with. Right. You have a good policy, all the uh, all the rest of the stuff can be taken care of one way or another, whether that's through your contractor, through your public adjuster, um, whether you're in the appraisal uh, process or whether, you know, you're going through litigation with an attorney. Mm -hmm. So, but if the policy is crap, you know, there's not much anybody can do for you. Yeah. So on some level, the homeowner needs to know that there there is some responsibility on them to do their due diligence and make sure that they have coverage to begin with. Right. Right. But. And that's the other, you know, appraisal. That's another subject matter. Um, people hear appraisal and they're thinking real estate appraisal. You know, <laughs> like, oh, it's a totally different thing in insurance. And there's a thing called an appraisal clause in your policy. And, you know, if there's any thought about going to appraisal, I'm like, I got to read the appraisal clause because they are not all the same. Yeah. There is the standard one. But especially in today's um, market, or things are changing with the appraisals and the appraisal clause. They're changing the wording to make it more difficult for the policyholder. It's the insurance companies are, are always going to write um, policies that are more favorable to them. Yeah, there's a term for it, and it's on the tip of my tongue, and I can't think of what it's called. It's um, something contract um contract of adhesion yes there you go contract of adhesion yeah one person the person who's signing off on it is uh more vulnerable yeah and for anybody who who doesn't know what that is it's essentially where one side gets to dictate all the terms of the contract and the other person is signing that underneath good faith that they're going to be taken care of so if there's any ambiguity in the contract or in the policy terms, um, that ambiguity rules in favor of the homeowner or the property owner uh, because they're not the ones who dictated the terms of the contract to begin with. So that's a little bit more verbiage of exp explaining the contract of adhesion. Right. But, um, but yeah, so um, no, I... 
there's so much to think about when you're going through this process. And I think so many people are so quick to just get in coverage and getting done. And I'm hoping some people listen to this and, you know, maybe get a better idea of how to approach shopping. So I, I tell people, don't, don't, don't be one of these people that thinks, Hey, I've been with these guys 30 years and I've never filed a claim. So, you know, they're going to take care of me. Um, the reality is that your agent has nothing to do with the claims department. They have That's no right. interaction with each other. That's and right. just because your agent has helped you out and they've been with you for a long time, it doesn't mean that the claims department is on, is on, is on that same uh, viewpoint. And it doesn't mean that they're just going to jump to whatever it is that you need to get right. done. Right. So um, a lot of people don't, don't understand that dynamic either. That's right. And I tell people that all the time. I say, oh, you know, your agent is a salesperson. Yeah. They're selling a product to you. They don't, they just do the sales. They don't do the, you know, backup, you know, making the the promise come true. Yeah. That's the claims department. Yeah. They're on a totally different wavelength. No, I, <laughs> it's all I, about I, spending as much money, as less, as little money as possible. Yeah. Let's write up an estimate that's under the deductible. And I've seen them where they've been like 40 cents under the deductible. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not paying you anything. Seriously. I had yeah. one like 42 cents below the deductible. So then we're not paying you anything. Yeah. <laughs> Could you just like add a little bit? You know, to that? Yeah. No kidding. Cents. <laughs> no. And I, I, I tell people too, I'm, I, I say, you know, shop every year if you want to right um you don't have to build some long-term relationship with the carrier in order for them to pay you when the time comes that you experience a loss they're the ones who are evaluating that risk and they evaluate whether that happens now or whether it happens 30 years from now and what's the likelihood of you experiencing something catastrophic and large that's right. what dictate that's what helps dictate your premium in, in a certain geographical area and the likelihood of something happening. So right. I tell people, look, in, in, a, in a market that is not loyal to you, don't be afraid to not be loyal to the carrier and shop. And if That's somebody right. else is offering something better for a better price, um, take that deck page and your policy uh, information that you get from one, take it to another and, and see, hey, you know, can you beat it? Um, right and just shop around. I encourage that highly. Right. Shop around, educate yourself. And it's, and then when you're looking at the coverages, okay, so you, you think this company has got offering of nice coverage, you know, great coverages. The premium is not totally crazy. Mm -hmm. and, and then the next thing you do, do some research and look up customer service with that insurance yeah. company. Go to Facebook and see if they yeah. have Facebook or maybe there's a Facebook page. I hate state farm or <laughs> all state sucks. Or, you know, there's, you know, Marcus, there's a lot of Facebook pages where oh, yeah. you know, USAA victims. I mean, there's a whole slew of them and I'm a member on a lot of them and I've, you know, help people. They'll say, I'll say I'm a public adjuster, you know, maybe I've even offered to talk to them on the phone and give them some kind of guidance. I'm not yeah. trying to solicit to them, just trying to offer them some help. Um, 
but that's very important to do some research and see what their customer service looks like. See how they rank as far yeah. as insurance companies go. And most people are shocked when they see the 10 worst insurance companies. Yeah. No, and, and I, I tell people too that that's always kind of a, um, a changing dynamic too. So right. the carriers are not always the same across the board um, throughout the history of their company. That's so right. these carriers go through, I just kind of a, do an analogy like a roller coaster. They, they kind of do these ups and downs of what they prioritize in their business model. There's a certain number of years that they're prioritizing their shareholders and they are really strict about what they're approving, how often they're doing it. These items are going to be things that we're going to be leaving off estimates over the next so many years. There's times that these carriers say, hey, we're going to try this. And if we get away with it, then it's going to end up being, you know, X amount of dollars at the end of the year. That's more profit. Um, and, and that and then the flip side of that is where they cater more towards customer service and they cater more towards getting uh, fresh uh, clients in and they retain as many clients as possible. Um, an example of this, in my opinion, would be, you know, Farmers has been going through a more customer service side of things in the last couple of, in the last two years since COVID. Um, they've been a little bit more lenient on how they're um, approving files on the front end. They're still a little strict on the estimating side and they're not paying for everything that they should. But overall in the claims process, I would say that they've kind of geared more towards customer service. Whereas on the flip side with uh, USAA in the last two or three years, their customer service side has gone downhill like crazy. It's they are not paying claims. Uh, they're not paying claims period. And when they do, it's, it's significantly underpaid. Um, right. State farm is going through a phase just like that right now as well. They're, they're, they're not paying out claims like they used to. It's a lot more difficult to get a roof bought in a hail and wind claim. Um, and, and, but you know, all state prior to two or three years ago, they were, they were really difficult to deal with. Um, I've heard that they've made some CEO changes and I've actually heard that one of them went to USAA. That's why there was a flip on that side. That's, that's not true. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. Yeah, it's not. I did my research and it's did not you? true. The, but but the, I, I would say like Allstate, they, they, they're, they still do their soft denials and they, they still do some of those tough denials. They know that X amount of people aren't going to do a reinspection. They don't, they know that X amount of people don't know what a PA is. But we have a really high success rate of overturns with Allstate right now right, right. because of that. And then they'll go, oh, well, they got a PA, okay, or they got an attorney. Okay, well, we'll, we'll pay it now. Right. And um, their, their customer service tends to switch a little bit once you get a certain person involved. So every carrier goes to these stages and of these kind of ups and downs of what they prioritize. Right, and a lot of times it changes quarterly, you know, when they get their financial situation. Yeah quarterly, then they might, you know, they're either going to tighten up on claims and not pay them, or they're going to be a little bit more lenient. Um, but getting back to USAA, USAA really changed when they got the CEO that they have now. And mm -hmm. I think with them for maybe five years or something. And he's the first one who has no military background. Yeah. Yeah. And you should see where he lives. His house is like phenomenal. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works out, huh? Yeah. Um, well, it, it's interesting if if you put 
just a time clock on this visual, right, of when that person gets hired. And then you just start seeing what the company prioritizes since his, since their involvement. Right. You know as well as I do that there's a connection there. Right. And, you know, I know the names of a lot of, I mean, the CEOs of insurance companies. And, you know, because uh, there's one particular third-party administrator that's kind of large. Um, and it was after the freeze, and I had two of those claims. And I wasn't getting any kind of communication with these desk adjusters. So I found the CEO on LinkedIn and I sent him a message. <laughs> two claim numbers. I'm a public adjuster. These are two claim numbers. I'm not able to get these adjusters to communicate with me. And at the end of the day, I had calls. I got phone, two phone calls. Yeah. Yeah. Because he got the message to them somehow. I'm like, yay, good for you. Yeah, actually, CEO who actually paid attention because I could see on there that he read my message. Yeah, yeah, and then you know sometimes I'll, you know, I'll be having an issue with the desk adjuster because you know that's our biggest opponent. It's the desk adjuster, and I'll include the CEO of the company in the email. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, that usually gets some attention. Oh yeah, now I'm sure that's a quick response too. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do. I love to do stuff like that. I like to mess with them. <laughs> I, no, I, I like to give them definitions of words. And... Yeah. And I, I tell homeowners that all the time, too, that, you know, most of the time these these guys have tactics. They they a lot of times they get overloaded as well. Sometimes it's not always malicious. Sometimes these guys are getting pulled from other states and they just get a workload on them that is ridiculous. Right. Um, but I, I tell homeowners all the time, there's there's a game and tricks of the trade of how to get responses back. Uh, right. There's ways to, uh, a little trick I like to do is, um, you know, if I'm not hearing back from somebody or if I'm not getting a call back, um, I'll just call the general claims department and um, I'll navigate to somebody in there, not the not the actual assigned adjuster. And I'll, uh, one, get their supervisor's information. But two, they have an internal system with, with note-taking. And what I'll do is I'll have the general claims desk say, hey, would you put an urgent message on their desktop to give me a call back and, and deal with this? Right. And uh, typically, I'll usually get a call back within about 24 hours. Yeah. But... And uh, the same thing is all. You have to be pretty creative. And that's the yeah. fun part about being a public adjuster is being creative. I love the, you know, improving my negotiation skills. And I do come off like when you're reading my emails, I'm sure if you're, if you have half a brain, you can detect a tone of smart assness <laughs> in my rate. And I love it. I had one client that I was, he wanted to be copied on all the emails. So I'm mm -hmm. going back and forth with this desk adjuster with Allstate. And my client said to me, wow, it's like you two are playing chess and you're five steps ahead of her, five moves ahead of her. <laughs> and he's like, I just think it's fascinating what you do. I love your job. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It can be fun. But it's really stressful too, right, Marcus? Yeah. It's stressful. No, it, it is very stressful. And, um, you know, I had to learn a long time ago in this business that I, I can't take things personal. And I used to get upset. I used to get really riled up like, man, is this guy just out of his mind? Like, what is he thinking 
making this decision. Like, why is he not getting back to me? All the yada, 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 yada. And it took me a while to understand, like, look, these guys have nine to five jobs, just like everybody, mo most people in this country. They don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. They have families and people that rely on them. And, you know, a lot of times they're just doing what they're told. Right. And, um, you know, and sometimes I use that to my advantage. I say, okay, well, if you're, look, I, I understand you got a boss too, right? So is it your boss who's saying this or is this you who's saying this? Right. And they, and they go, well, I just have, I'm the one, I'm the messenger, man. This is just what, you know, the policy says, or this is what the, my supervisor says this part of the policy means. So, okay, great. Why don't you give me your, uh, your manager's contact information. Mm -hmm. And then the, that name goes on my complaint. Because yeah. and I'll 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 use that a lot of times and a lot of people just you you gotta like I said I stopped taking it so personal and I just started looking at it from a business perspective and I looked at it as my whole business is the problem business I am in the business of solving problems that's right um you can't Find be surprised yeah you can't be surprised that somebody's gonna try to shortchange the homeowner. You can't be surprised that they're going to deny, delay, defend all day long. And um, once you kind of get that mentality under, underneath, your responses don't come back as um, emotional. And you just look at it like, look, I'm, I can't make you do anything. And I'm not going to try to. But I'm more than willing to let yourself step into your own trap. And look, if you want to walk into this, and you want to misrepresent this, um, just understand that I'm giving you an opportunity to overturn this decision. I'm giving you an opportunity to make this right. And if you don't, I want you to understand that you're knowingly making this decision. Mm -hmm. And typically when I use that verbiage, knowingly, you are knowingly doing this, mm -hmm. I'm usually getting redirected to a supervisor or somebody else and right. because they don't want their their name on it. Right. Yeah. And and yeah i know i just love playing with them it's fun <laughs> <laughs> because um i always you know i'm always friendly and professional yeah and when i talk to somebody on the other side on the phone i'm always professional and and very friendly I, i'll say you know i'll just kind of start up a conversation so how's the weather where you are you know just start talking and Wow, you sound like do you have allergies or something? <laughs> you know, just get kind of on a personal level with them and get them to open up. And you know, I like to treat people, you know, they're human just like I am. Now hold on a second. You opened up our conversation talking about the weather. Are you are you playing <laughs> mind games with me? What, no. what are you doing? No. no. So and then <laughs> and then, you know, but in time, then I get them to open up. So I'll build up some kind of rapport with them. But in the end, they're going to know I'm a hell of a lot smarter than they are. And that's kind of my attitude. I am smarter yep. than you always will be. And nothing you can say or do is going to make me change my mind about whatever. I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to win one way or the other. I'm going to win. I, and I want so bad to say, well, just give up now. Okay. <laughs> just pay the claim. <laughs> Well, and if you've ever worked for me as a PA, if you've ever worked for me as a roofing contractor, you've usually heard me say this analogy and this whole industry is a game. Yeah. Know, know what the rules are, 
know where the line is, walk it if you have to, but don't cross it and play it harder and smarter than the other guy. That's right. And when you think of it in those terms, I, I feel like it changes your perspective a little bit. And I've even told homeowners that, and, and I've said, look, this whole thing is a game. You can either be a participant or a spectator. And some, but if sometimes if you don't know what's going on, you can get taken advantage of. And um, in my opinion, it's better to, to be a, an educated participant and know, know what these rules are, know what could be coming around the corner. And that way you're not taken as much by surprise. Right. Um, I'm not expecting everybody to be an expert on this stuff. Um, that's what we're here for. Right. But at least have enough education that you can do your due diligence and get a good policy in place. That way you and I aren't restricted when we do get involved on what we can get you in terms of results. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. but I mean, do in this in this industry, I mean, we've been talking a lot about you and me and and PAs and and adjusters. You know, do you, do you feel that a lot of these adjusters are educated enough in one construction, and then two just their own knowledge of the their own software that they use? I'm referring to Xactimate, which is the estimating software that you know they use to determine how much money you're going to get. In general, no, they're not, they're yeah. not that. Um, and you can tell they, they'll say the same thing from one company to another. They all have the kind of the same little thing, guidelines, you know, mm -hmm. their guidelines that are not in the policy. They'll say, oh, well, it's against our guidelines or these are our guidelines. And you can just tell by the verbiage in their emails and how they'll deny something for this particular reason. And all state does it this way, state form does it another, you know, they're but you can tell it's their training. Yeah. Or it's, they're not trained that well for the most part. They're not trained that well. Yeah. I'd say the majority of them have no construction background. Um their estimates. You know, some are fairly good, but they're usually are missing lots of line items because they don't think of they're they're more focused on the amount of the estimate, not the scope. And I tell my clients all the time, don't pay attention to the amount on the estimate. It's all about the scope. Mm -hmm. This has to happen, you know, and that's what makes a good estimate is when it's a good scope of repairs. Yeah. Well, the, the estimate in terms of pricing and, you know, for those who don't know that there's a, there's a software called Xactimate, which is kind of the industry standard. And this software basically takes um, average market pricing of materials and labor in a certain region, and it applies it to a li list of code items. Yeah. And you use these codes to build a scope. So we don't dictate the price of, you know, the, removal and replacement of a, of a piece of L flashing. We just put the code in and then that software basically uses that regional pricing uh, to put in its place. There's sometimes you'll have one-off items that you have to do, you know, special pricing on, but that that's far and few between. But um, the, the software though, the, these codes, it's very common that the carrier leaves off line items that restricts what you get in your scope. They'll say that a, a roof replacement only takes six line items, 
to to do when in reality when somebody like Sandy or I send in an estimate it's going to be 30 line items on, on a roof uh, on just like the roof portion right. um so one they they don't know the details of of exactimate so my my the PA that works with me as well um the both of us are getting our level three certification in, okay. in Xactimate. Um, only about 250 people in the entire world have that certification. Right. Um, but, um, you know, we took the time to go in and really understand what is the meaning of a lot of these line items. That way it's not just stuff thrown up against the wall, but um, it, it's important to have a good scope because that's what dictates the price. Right. Um, so I, I tell everybody you're in a lot better of a situation when you have all the money on the table. If they're paying you pennies on the dollar, you got way less options to to do with you and, and your contractor. And uh, then your repairs are not going to be very are not going to be adequate because no. no contractor wants to be losing money on a job. Yeah, no. They don't <laughs> want to lose any money. No, and you know the kind of more on the construction side too, like you said, most of these adjusters don't have a construction background. So if you're not, if you're not going to have a PA involved from the beginning, you know, I, I would say that you need to have an advocate on your side somehow during the claims process. So if you're handling this where you and the adjuster are on site, he's it's, you're not going to climb that roof with him. He's just up there by himself and you're expecting he's going to take care of you. I don't recommend that. I recommend you have somebody representing you and your best interests there. If it's not a public adjuster, a contractor. Yeah. So it, decent contractor that yeah. has a good reputation. The, the adjuster who's there on site is not there to look after you, the homeowner's best interest. They're there to look out for the carrier who, who is their employer and they're looking out for the, their employer's best financial interest. You, you need somebody to be an advocate for you on site during that inspection, that way that they can kind of help, help guide that guy around. Um, a, because of their lack of education in the construction side of things, having a contractor there is going to be one that's going to be the first guy to point out, hey, you're not paying for the right underlayment. Hey, you're not paying for drip edge on this. Why are you not paying for that? Hey, there's valley metal here. Did you did did you get a picture of the valley metal that's there? Hey, it's not valley metal. It's ice and water shield, or it's mod bit used in the valleys. Mm -hmm. um, what's the waste percentage that you're that you're putting together um, on this? Why are you only giving ten percent? My calculations are at seventeen percent. Um, did did you understand that the chimney cap is a three piece chimney cap? It's the chase cover, the flue, and the decorative chimney shroud. Um, it's having that guy there going through all that going, Hey, don't shortchange us. Why, we need answers on, on paying for all these things. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, and actually the, the adjusters in the field, I, I rarely have any problems with them. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately they don't have, um, the control that they once had, you know, there was a time when adjusters would come out, um, and, do an inspection and write a check right then and there and hand it yeah. to the homeowner. That doesn't happen anymore. Not nearly as much. <laughs> Not nearly as much. I had, I've only had it happen to me once and it was an all state claim and it was a reinspection. And it was a, 
major hailstorm up in the Trinity Livingston um, area. And so they did a reinspection, you know, well, great, you know. And then so I showed up and then this truck pulls up and I go, oh, you filled adjuster? He said, no, I'm the ladder assist. Ladder assist is somebody who gets up on the roof and actually does takes pictures so that the field adjuster doesn't have to risk their life. <laughs> and so he says, no, the field adjuster will be here pretty soon. So about 10 minutes later, this other truck pulled up and I said, oh, so you're the field adjuster? Yes, I'm the field adjuster. And I said, great. He said, my manager will be here in a few minutes. I'm like, wait a minute, three against one. Bringing the, bringing the whole team out. They were bringing the whole team. It was just me. And as it turned out, they saw more damage than the contractor saw and they wrote the check right then and there. Yeah. And I was like, yay, why can't all my claims be like this? Yeah. Yeah. That's all well, and, and that's true. I, I tell people from the very beginning, cause they all want to know, Hey, how long is this going to take? How extensive is this going to be? And I tell them, unfortunately it's a roll of the dice. I, I said, you know, it all mostly comes down to what adjuster you get. And, right. and I said, that's whether I'm involved or not. And typically when I submit my proof of loss under my package, you know, it typically gets reassigned to a new adjuster and it gets fresh eyes on it. And right. then we go through the reinspection process and all that fun stuff. But, right. um, you know, it's all roll of the dice nowadays and the carriers are in the process of pushing out old adjusters that have been doing this a long time. The people that you mentioned that have a lot of authority, the guys that know how to write a proper scope, the guys that used to be able to cut checks on the spot, they're trying to get rid of a lot of those guys. And they had integrity as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had well, integrity. It's no, it's no surprise as to where they're going after they get pushed out either. They're coming over to the public adjusting side. They're coming over to the appraisal side, contracting side, you know, that they're all coming over to the Jedi side. <laughs> and they make really good public adjusters too. Yeah. 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 Cause most of them do know policy language and things like that really well. They know how to write a scope. They know how to investigate properly, take the proper photos. So they, they do tend they to know make what's needed. That's, public public yeah. 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 So yeah, I always say that I think the best public adjusters are former IAs mm -hmm. and, um, and contractors. Yeah. A lot of contractors too. Now, and when I first got into this, I needed to learn more about policy and I wanted to learn more about what are these endorsements? How does coverage give coverage and then take it away later? Um, you know, what, where do I find certain policy language? And a lot of times I learned that from really nice independent adjusters on the carrier side. Mm -hmm. um, when I first got into roofing, I learned a lot of things from really good quality field adjusters on the carrier side. Right. That's why, you know, I, I still have an open mind when I go out and I still try to treat them with respect because you never know what you're going to learn. Right. They're always, there's always somebody out there who knows more than you. Right. And um, I always look at it as an opportunity to learn something. Yeah, and then and, and I think if you if you're grateful for any kind of knowledge they can give to you, yeah, I I do believe in building up a, a rapport with um, my opponents, my adversaries. <laughs> I just think it just it's just going to be work better. Like I can reason with them, 
you know, we can come to some kind of an agreement. Then, you know, just being harsh from the very beginning and going there like a bulldog, that shit just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. And um, unfortunately, there are quite a few public adjusters who just want to be really hard and difficult and they want to be bulldogs. And I think it's shameful. To yeah. Be honest with you. Well, but, and- you know, another thing I think that um, I find myself, people will, clients will say, especially when I first meet them, I'll say, okay, do you have a denial letter? And they'll say, no, they just told me on the phone. <laughs> They're supposed to give it to you in writing. Yeah. I go, really? Yeah. They have oh, it's, it's law. So I tell them, in your policy in Texas, there's a Texas Consumer Bill of Rights. I suggest you pull it out and you read it because mm. you will know that you do have certain rights and your insurance company is supposed to treat you fairly and just go through the list you know, of all the things that that says and what your bill of rights are and check off the things that they're not abiding by. Yeah. And, you know, because if they're if the insurance company is handling your claim poorly, and then you reach out to get an advocate, whether it be a public adjuster or an attorney, and you let them know, look, this is what I have documented that they they didn't do this, they didn't do this, they did this, you know, blah blah blah, whatever it is, it makes our job easier because we can we can hold that against the company. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, and you know, I, to kind of piggyback some more on, I, I think people really underestimate the detriment that it can be to your claim settlement if you don't have an experienced person who knows how to read policy and knows how to write scope. Right. And having an adjuster without an advocate, like you mentioned, can just be detrimental to the whole process. Right. Um, you know, for instance, I had a water loss claim. It was a small... It, the area that it affected in terms of surface area was pretty small, but um, it was a water line on the back of a, of a refrigerator, but it did damage to the kitchen cabinets and the wood floors and the wall. He has a completely open concept house. The claim was originally denied. Um, they try to use some policy language. I, I got involved. Um, they overturned it, but they only paid out like $30,000 worth of damage. And I just settled that claim at like two hundred and five thousand dollars. Wow! So for people that don't know the detriment, a lot of times people just take what they're given, and they don't know what to fight for. They don't know how to fight. They just kind of take what they're given by these guys. And um, you know what I had to explain to this homeowner was that look, your cabinets are custom. There, there's no ability for us to do a repair on this. Um, the open floor concept, the continuation of paint, the continuation of wood floors that goes out throughout the entire house. Um, you're, you're going to have to get all of this replaced. And once he realized that, he was like, "Well, then, yeah, let's 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 do it." Right. And um, you know, I, I think having somebody up on the front end that isn't educated can just do detrimental damage uh, to your, to your claim. And, you know, and you, you know this very well, but if a homeowner brings us on and it's, it's not worth our involvement, we don't have a problem telling you that. 
and we'll come out and inspect it for free. Like, guys, I'll, I'll come out there and look at it for you. And we'll sit down, we'll go through everything. And I'll say, hey, you know what? Like, I've done this numerous times. Guys, try this. And I think y'all can get what you need. Right. And you don't have to involve me. I don't have to take a you right. know a, a fee off of this. Because um, a lot of times I'll look at it and say, you know, if I get involved and I may add another, you know, five, 10 grand to this, is it worth me taking this amount of a fee? And I just tell them like, look, why don't you just try this and then, you know, see if it works. And if it doesn't, right. then give me a call. Right. And, and I do the same thing. I mean, I offer advice to people for free and, you know, it's, that's part of my job. It's part of my profession. It's as an advocate, I don't always get paid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's nice. The re it's rewarding to help other people. Yeah. And, and they're, they're very grateful to you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I would I have a feeling that that's probably your favorite thing in this industry is education and and that that part of it. Yeah, and doing things for people. I actually had a client and this really touched me very much. Um got a client their their roof was completely denied. No, actually it was like well below the deductible and this been going on since like May of 21 or something. So finally, we got a reinspection and they paid for the roof. So they're so thankful. And so I met, I had their checks and I met them at their bank. And she's hugging me. They both hugged me. I'm a hugger anyway. <laughs> and then, you know, we deposited, they deposited their checks. She gave me my check, my 10%. And she says, Sandy, if it wasn't for you and God, I don't know what we would have done. Yeah. <laughs> wow. She got me up there with God. That's pretty cool. Uh. <laughs> he said, I love you, Sandy. You know, like, oh, that's good, you know? Yeah. It's very touching when people show that much gratitude. Well, you been... are their hero. I mean, I've had him say to me, You're my superhero. Yeah. But you're gonna forget about me down the road. <laughs> okay. So just take that moment and cherish it, you know? Well, you know, if, if the loss is a big loss, like they had a lot happen, or if they feel that they were wrongfully handled to begin with, and then you stepped in and, and got changes made, it it's, it's, it's really rewarding to them. And, you know, a lot of PAs and contractors in this industry talk a lot about what a big claim is. And yeah. to most people, you know, something happens to their house, that is a big claim. And, you know, to the PA or to the carrier, it may be a $30,000 claim, something that's on the lower end. Um, there's a lot of PAs and attorneys that don't take business unless it's over a threshold. They don't do. Right. Exactly. And I've had to say, I'm not taking anything under 250000 I'm like, yeah. damn. Exactly. I've, I've heard numerous yeah. attorneys and stuff. They don't even take cases yeah. underneath a million. Right. Um, they don't take cases underneath 500000 and, um, you know, I just kind of look at that and I'm like, you know what, like the people that are supposed to be the advocates, if, if y'all don't help even these people, and that leaves a very small pool of people that are willing to help out, you know, people, which is most of the people who need it, you know, right. most of these people that have insurance claims are underneath a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And, um, I, at least that's kind of my guess. I don't, I don't have data to support that, but I, I would say that a 
good chunk, if not 50% or more of insurance claims across the board are probably underneath the $100,000 threshold. Oh, yeah, I would say so. They're under 100000 It depends upon what it is. I mean, it's like a roof. Then typically it's going to be under $100,000. Now, yeah. a freezing claim could well, you know, get closer yeah. to 200000 It depends upon the house and how much, how many rooms were damaged and all that stuff. A fire, of course, that's like the worst. Yeah. Um, flooding, which is a totally different animal. Um, but it is true. And there was some, somebody um, had asked what quantifies as a large loss. And yeah. my comment was, it's relative to whoever who has the loss. Yeah. Every loss is a large loss to the individual. How yeah. can you put a number on it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, you mentioned earlier, like you, you're pretty much all residential, so you don't have any caps, right? On, on anything. You don't have any threshold. No, I don't. Like you won't. I've actually done a couple of car claims too. Yeah. And there's not much money in those because we can't do bodily injury. We can't do third party liability. Yeah. Um, there's not much money. I mean, I did one just pro bono just to help the guy out. His yeah. car was stolen. But, um, you know, I, because, because when I, if I help somebody with this small claim, like if it their house, you know, it's a $10,000 claim, I'm not making much money off of it. And it's not just, it's usually just as difficult as the one that's too hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it takes just as much work. Yeah. And, and group claims really like are the hardest because the yeah. carrier's that's not wind damage. That's not hail damage. Mm -hmm. um, and those are really difficult and you don't get, make as much money off of them. But I'm planting a seed. This way I look at it. I do right yeah. by somebody. And someday I might get a phone call from somebody that they gave, you know, my name to this other person. And that's how you, you build up a reputation and, um, your, your refer referral sources grow yeah. and you do good things. We're because we, we're the same way. We're, we're majority residential claims. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we do large loss and commercial projects um, and we do quite a bit of it. Um, but, you know, I've had somebody ask me before, you know, Marcus, from a business perspective, how do you stay motivated when one minute you're working on a, you know, multi-million dollar claim and then, you know, you turn around and you got to pay attention to a $20,000 claim. Right. And I said, well, if I have to like kind of differentiate on that, on like my, my time and all that, I think it's my job to figure out on the business side, how to balance that from a mentality standpoint, it doesn't, it doesn't change. Right. So from me evaluating what has happened during a claims process, um, applying, you know, prompt pay deadlines and looking to see if they've misrepresented things and in my investigative process, it yeah. is no different on a 25 square residential house on a hail and wind claim as it is to, you know, a multifamily apartment building that burned down, that, that burned. Right. So, um, my process is the same, but it's my job as a business owner to keep the motivation between myself and the staff on how you stay motivated between these multiple claims. Cause 
you know, we just wrapped up a $1.4 million roof up in the Frisco area. Oh, and nice. uh, it was way less work than it is on some of these residentials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I right. got to go out and do three different inspections and, you know, my fee, you know, it might come out, you know, hardly anything. Right. And, but at the end of the day, sometimes like you mentioned, those smaller ones can be way more difficult than the big ones, right. but those people need you right. just as much as the other people do. And so, I think it helps to keep you grounded. Yeah. And, you know, realize that you are, and, and to be, to be humble because you are an advocate and, you know, there are plenty of public adjusters and attorneys who are very particular about who they're going to advocate for. You know, it's all about the money. Um, but I don't see it that way. To me, it's, I mean, of course the money is nice. You know, I'm allowed to pay my bills and everything, but I, I feel comfortable knowing that I'm doing something that has meaning and purpose. Yeah. 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 Well, that's awesome. And, and it gives me a good feeling about myself. You know? yeah. do, do you think, um, do you think a homeowner should hire a PA on every single claim? that they do or, or no? No. Um, most of the claims I get is I get it later, you mm. know, after they, they're having a problem. Yeah. I am signing up two commercial claims this next week. Um, and they, the, the claims haven't been filed yet. So we're going to be on board from the very beginning and that's going to be nice. And usually most of the time, if you get on board from the very beginning, the public adjuster is on board from the very beginning, the process will typically run smoother, yeah. okay? But most of the time, because people don't even know public adjusters exist, Yeah. Um, most contractors do. The contractor will try to get it resolved. And then, you know, when they hit a roadblock, they're like, oh, let's bring in a public adjuster. And some contractors, a lot, well, I'd say most contractors who have used public adjusters have had some bad experience with some public adjusters. I get a lot of contractors calling me who have had bad experience with other public adjusters. And then some contractor, you know, somebody they know in the industry will say, hey, call Sandy Davis, because she's pretty good. And, you know, after all these years, I have a pretty good reputation. And, you know, I just tell them, I'm honest with them. I'm like, don't expect me to be a miracle worker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, number one, send me photos. Yeah. And like, sometimes I, I'll look at them. I'm like, I don't know what, what am I looking at? You know, where's the damage? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I get a little bit frustrated with the contractors or their sales reps who, don't really know how to take photos. And, you know, I've met with um, contractors, gone to their office and try to do some training and teach them what it is that I need. Number one, I need really good photos. <laughs> I need to, you to send me the photos and then I'll decide whether or not I think I can help you or help your, cu your customer. Um, and that's the process that I do. You know, I, I'm, yeah. gonna vet. I'm not gonna take a claim that's not a legitimate claim. Yeah. 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 And we're, you know, we're, for the most part, we're the same way, but, um, you know, if I were to recommend something to somebody, you know, if you, if you can be indemnified and brought back whole without our involvement, then, you know, I, I would say it's not necessary for you to have a PA on from the beginning. Right. 
Um, most hail and wind claims can usually be done between you and your contractor. That's right. Um, it's usually not until the contractor hits a roadblock and, or the carrier is just blatantly misrepresenting something and calling your bluff on how far you're willing to take it that I get a phone call. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, if it's something more along the lines of a fire or a water loss claim and you think it's going to be fairly complex, there, I think there is an advantage to having a PA on it from the very beginning. Um, you touched on it already that a lot of times the process itself can be a little bit smoother just because we're not going to take any crap <laughs> from the carrier. Okay. Right. And we understand how the process plays out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like um, fire claims, they're different because the insurance company is going to bring in a fire investigator and they're going to go through the process. They're going to probably want to get an extra 30 days to investigate because they're looking for arson yeah. or the possibility of arson. So that's why it's really like if it's a fire, it's best to have a public adjuster from the very beginning because the public adjuster knows what's going to happen. And, you know, they might want to do a, um, I can't think right now. They might bring in their SIU, you know, mm -hmm. their special investigations unit. They want, might want to do an examination under oath. Mm -hmm. People are like, what does that mean? They don't know. Yeah. And so the public adjuster can be educating you and say, this might happen. This is probably what's going to happen next. Well, and and there's heads up yeah. on what's and going to take place. Your public adjuster is going to know from the beginning too that, hey, you know, we're going to need somebody like a hygienist on this from the very beginning of like a water loss. Right. Or maybe the water damages as a result of the firefighters coming in and putting the fire out that this hygienist report is going to be a huge difference maker in how easily the carrier is going to approve certain things. Right. Um, yeah. It's a lot more difficult to do that when it's six months after that happens and you've already mitigated and taken out a bunch of materials that weren't tested and now I have to go back and somehow prove that it was category three water. And yeah. there's a lot of things with that, that there's some advantages to having a PA on from the beginning. And mm -hmm. so I, I tell everybody, if you're dealing with fire or water, um, if it's in more than one room, you're, you're probably needing to get a PA. Right. Right. Um, I would but, totally agree with you on yeah. those types of losses. It's better to have a public adjuster. Yeah. And if you're in something like a hurricane or a tornado, um, you know, having a, an adjuster who knows how to navigate, you know, is this falling under TWIA? Is this falling underneath uh, your carrier? Um, you know, th there's advantages to having us involved from the beginning, but your average hail and wind claim, it's not necessary to have us on from the beginning. Um, you know, typically you'll just call us, you know, um, you know, when you need us kind of thing. Yeah. So that, that's typically how I approach it. Mm -hmm. But um, what, what's your, because I, I know a lot of PAs, everybody kind of treats their process a little different. There's PAs in this business that they have a quick turnaround. If you're not done in 45 days, they send it to an attorney. Um, there's other PAs that try to stretch out or maybe they're overloaded and they take a long time on their process. There's other people that try to exhaust every avenue and then they only turn to an attorney if and when they need it. There's PAs that are turning to appraisal to get their job done for them. Um, you know, what's kind of your take on some of those processes? I don't have a time limit. 
um, I, I'm, you mentioned one, I send to an attorney or recommend an attorney, um, when I've run out of, when I've hit a roadblock Yeah. and the carrier's not going to budge. And, but I always make sure, and I start every file from the very beginning as if it's going to go to litigation. Yep. Most of them don't. Okay. Most of the time I get them probably 70, 75%. I get resolved without an attorney. Um, used to be much lower, but you know, nowadays the come the carriers are getting much, you know, they're stingy. Yeah. And greedy, greedier than they have been. Um, but I will have evidence in my file. I'm always looking for it. I'm looking for them to screw up and I like to set them up for it. I'll ask them questions. I want to make sure that what they said to me is what, um, what they meant to say. So I'll say, it's my understanding that you said such and such. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you're just admitting that you've been handling this claim improperly, you know, that sort of thing. So when I send it to an attorney, I have all this kind of evidence so that the attorney can at least has a fighting chance of not only getting the pay, the claim paid in full, but also getting the fees paid on top because yep. Texas is a bad faith. Yeah. And for any of the listeners that, you know, want to understand that a little better, because um, I've had another video with Hodge where we've kind of talked about teeing a file up and the reason and I, and I like that approach with you because um, not every PA has it and you have to treat every single file like it's going to litigation because yeah. if you don't there's going to be some piece of evidence that you missed there's going to be something that you didn't cover and it's going to set the file up for failure if and if it does go to litigation right. if it doesn't go to litigation awesome no harm no foul we get it resolved homeowner moves on down the road um, but if it needs to go to litigation, you didn't cover one of these things, right. it could be detrimental to your case. Right. So you need a PA that approaches every single file the exact same way in terms of how they structure the claims process, in terms of how they go through their claims process. Right. Um, not every process is the same, but what I'm saying is just their, their approach to investigating needs to be standard across the board. Like right. their, their, their approach to how they handle claims, how they structure, how they set up prompt pay deadlines. How, how do, are you evaluating misrepresentation of certain parts of the policy? Right. Like what, what, what different things are you doing in that process? Yeah. Um, so, really and that's what the thing is. I'm always paying attention. I'm always being aware of everything and it, you know, documentation is key and um, document everything and then always be, looking for those little mistakes they make or the things they might say and you yeah. know so i can hold it against them <laughs> <laughs> no and i um you know i my my process um you know i would i would be like you i'm probably 75 80 percent of our files get settled um without going anywhere else um but you know we I only send to an attorney if and when there's no other options. Right. So if I go, eventually I'm just going to come to the homeowner and go, Hey, look, we've given them every opportunity. I've escalated it to one supervisor, two supervisors. They're all giving me the same answer. Um, 
they violated prompt pay deadlines. They're misrepresenting this part of your policy. Um, you know, the, this, this, or this, if I'm sitting there going, they're just blatantly misrepresenting, they're acting in bad faith. I have proof of all of it. They're calling your bluff on how far you're willing to go. That's when I'll have the conversation with them about going to litigation. I tell everybody in the beginning and up front, I like to set expectations up front. Right. Guys, it's not my it's not my expectation to go to court, um, but it's a, it's a, always a possibility. And you guys need to be aware of that because I don't want to come to you one day and say, hey, guess what? You got to hire an attorney. And then they go, well, what? I thought you I thought that's what you were there for. Right. Um, so I tell everybody up front, it can always go to litigation, but it's not my intent. I don't like to turn it over to the attorney. Even if I don't get every penny that's on my estimate, as long as you're whole and the contractor has what they need, my fees are covered, everybody's happy, then I've done my job. I, I don't have to send it to an attorney for minuscule other things if you end up getting it done. Right. So um, I don't like appraisal very much. Um, that there's a big push of appraisal in this industry right now. Yeah. that I think homeowners need to be a little bit aware of. And I think that's the discussing appraisal is a whole episode in and of itself, but it, it is um, the short of it is it's the wild west. There's no regulations. There's no laws. There's no certifications or licensing of the people who represent you as an appraiser or the carrier. Um, there's no rules and regulations at all. So there's no question of why the carrier is willing to push things to appraisal. Once it's in appraisal, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to get out of appraisal. Right. So once you're in it, you're in it. And it's uh, binding. Yeah. So people need to be aware of that, and they need to be a little more cautious than what they have been. And the other key factor about appraisal is that just because the appraisal s agrees on an award does not mean that the carrier is going to pay that award. That's right. Just because they agree to it. They can always go back and say, well, there's a policy issue. We can't pay this award for some reason. Right. right. And, exactly. um, there, there's too much at stake and it's going to come down, I think. And the whole thing's going to crumble. And when that happens, who knows? But it's it. I think it's on. I think it's coming. Right. And appraisals can drag on for a long time. And, you know, it's in my experience, I I just don't like appraisal for all the reasons that you said. It's like a crapshoot. Yeah. But I do the same thing when I sign up a new client. I tell them, okay, this is my process. This is what I'm, I do. This is how I handle things. Be patient because it's not going to be settled in a month. And it's probably not going to be settled in two months. It, my average is probably five to six months. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if it goes to litigation, then it's going to take even longer. Yeah. But I just tell them there's this, these are the possibilities. Yeah. Now you have another option that's appraisal. And I explain the appraisal process and then I'm honest with them. And I say, personally, I don't like appraisal because like all the reasons you said, I, again, I try to educate them from the very beginning. I tell them nothing is guaranteed and we just have to go with the flow and see how, what happens. But you know, if, if we need to go to an attorney, I will let you know beforehand <laughs> yeah. you know, before I just not going to just like super surprise you. Go, okay, I'm done with this. Let's go to an attorney. You know, I'm always going to, I always want my client to 
my clients to communicate with me. Tell me what they're concerned about. What are, what is it you're concerned about? What's, what's making you worried or, you know, that yeah. sort of. The, the play on words that I use is you guys are in the driver's seat. So as we're going through this, y'all make the final call. So exactly. I'm going to stress certain directions for you. I'm going to advise you on what I think is going to be best and our highest likelihood of getting a win. Mm -hmm. um, but y'all are always in the driver's seat. So I tell everybody, I said, you know, look, if I write an estimate for $200,000 and the carrier comes back with a hundred thousand and, you know, I'm going to bring that to you and I'm going to say, Hey, look, you know, I wrote for a hundred thousand they gave us, or I, I wrote for 200,000, they gave us a hundred, um, you know, evaluate this, look at it with your contractor, let me know how it's looking. And, and I'll tell them like reasonably like, Hey, look, if I can get us to 150,000, can, can the carrier, can your contractor get it done? And I'll have open conversations like that because if I can get them to a certain number and at the end of the day, it makes them whole, then I've done my job. So at the same time, that $200,000 estimate I wrote, I can defend every line item up to a jury trial if I have to. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, my job is to get you back to pre-loss condition. And if you can do that on $150,000 instead of my $200,000 estimate, then I've done my job. So, right. um, but you're, you're the one who makes that call. You're the that's one right. who's in the driver's seat. So, um, you know, that, that's how I always want my homeowners to feel. It's like they're in control. So, oh yeah, definitely. It's all ultimately it's up to them. Yeah. Um, and usually what I'll say is, um, I've learned to say this, you know, because there's this thing where people will say, if you, if a public adjuster recommends that, it, um, a client of theirs goes to an attorney, they're giving them le legal advice and that's practicing law without a license, you know, <laughs> let's go to extremes, but there is that you know, thing out there in this industry that public adjusters shouldn't be recommending, you know, giving legal advice by suggesting they go to an attorney. So what I've learned to do is I'd say, if I was in your shoes, <laughs> yeah. I would go to an attorney. Yeah. So that's just telling them from my perspective, if with based on my knowledge and my experience, if I was in their shoes, this is what I would do, but it's up to you. You're the ones going to decide. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. And I, I know the carrier likes it that way. They try to put as many holes between the contractor and, and the PAs and attorneys as they can. Right. Um, you know, who telling has a pretty good analogy in terms of putting this home, the property owner on an Island and, he does this kind of balance, the scale balance analogy where, you know, the carrier has money, influence, research, um, all this stuff on their side that, you know, builds up their side and who, who, who they have it to their advantage. And they put as many roadblocks between the property owner and, and their side as possible. So they like to keep the homeowner on this Island where nobody's there to help them. They've got, they're putting up issues and roadblocks between them and the contractor. They're putting up roadblocks for PAs operating in whatever state that they're in. And they're making it where attorneys can't advertise directly to homeowners. And that's right. all by design. Right. So, um, you know, like you said, it all comes down to education. 
And the more the people know, the better. That way they can make the best decision possible. That's right. But yeah, it's all about education. Yeah. Everything's about education. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're in a situation where you have to make some decisions, especially major ones, better educate yourself. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, Sandy, I really appreciate you coming on. And this has been absolutely awesome. So I, I well, thanks for having me. I definitely know. won't be the last time I have you on either. Okay. Sounds good. But no, it's been great. And uh, appreciate you coming on and everything, like I said. And uh, guys, appreciate y'all listening. And, uh, you know, we'll catch you on down the road. Peace. Definitely.